Hey guys, it's Pastor Erwin McManus. I wanna thank you for listening to the podcast and joining us from all over the world. To the launch of my new book, The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace, we are going to be launching book clubs across the world. When you choose to host a book club, you get access to exclusive content, to discussion guides for every chapter, to video content for every chapter, and you get to join me on a live stream Q&A where we will be dealing with the material, The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace. So host a book club, go to erwinmcmanus.com slash book club and sign up right now. So last week we began diving into the way of the warrior. And the book is divided by codes. So each time we come together, we're going to dive into a different code. Last week we began with the foundational code as we journey together on an ancient path to inner peace, we saw that the warrior fights only for peace. This may be our lives' most important battle. Because as we remember, the world is raging with war because there's a war that rages within us. And we'll never know world peace until we find inner peace. But it's a journey. It's a it's a struggle, it's a battle. And a part of what we want to do as we journey together is deal with the practicalities of the struggles and the battles that we war within our very souls. And a huge part of what, what, what drives us is in this second code, which at first will seem almost counterintuitive. The warrior seeks to be invisible. Because I, I have a feeling there's some of you here that already feel invisible in all the wrong ways. In fact, I think one of our greatest fears is that we will live and die and be invisible. There's some of you here that feel as if your life is so insignificant that no one even knows you're here. You're wondering if you cease to exist today, would anyone notice tomorrow? In fact, so many of the devastating, destructive, unexplainable choices we make in our lives is this desperate need to be seen. Have you ever thought to yourself, why did I do that? Or had a friend and you thought to yourself, why did they do that? See, it's odd, but, but the more invisible you feel, the more you will choose destructive behavior just to be visible to someone. And so this, this code will seem counterintuitive to your life because your greatest fear may be to be invisible and yet your greatest need may be to seek invisibility. Because when you are driven to be visible, you will be driven by all the wrong factors that will destroy your very life. Visibility is about what happens out there, what other people see. And the great paradox in that is that we want to be seen, but we really don't want anyone to really see us. We want them to see the us we project. We want them to see the us that we create, but we're terrified that we... If we become visible, that we will truly be transparent and someone will actually see us most fully. It's a lot of work to be visible and invisible at the same time, isn't it? I think I learned this particular code when I was really young from my grandfather. As some of you know, I'm from El Salvador and my grandfather is very unique. He was a very small man. He was about five foot five. I was a giant. But my grandfather was one of those small of stature, but big of charisma kind of people. He had massive gravitas. So when he walked into a room, he felt huge. And he saw himself as much taller than he was. And my grandfather, he's the one who taught me when I was just a small boy about continental drift and how the Asians migrated across the Bering Strait and came across this continent. He taught me how when I went to the United States, they would call me an Indian because Christopher Columbus landed on the wrong continent and do not be defined by someone else's mistake. He, he taught me how to play chess when I was three years old. And, and I think it was when I was five that I, I was able to move five or six moves. And when I was six, I could move seven or eight moves. And, and I would cry because I was six and say, Poppy, let me move. And he would say, when you earn a move, you can have another move. He was an interesting person. <laughs> and I remember once 
I took Aaron to El Salvador when maybe Aaron was nine or 10 years old and I have this photograph of Aaron playing grandfather and playing chess with my grandfather, four generations sitting across a chessboard. It's epic. And I taught Aaron how to play when he was really young and he was holding his own. And my, my grandfather was never a person who would let you have a move. And I saw that Aaron had an opportunity to take an advantage. And so I intervened and I said, hey, buddy, the night. And my grandfather went, what? I said, no, you're not allowed to cheat. This is wrong. This is cheating. And he, I said, Papi, he's just a little boy. Because you need to have more respect for him than to give him a move. I would never disrespect a person to let them think they're better than they are. That's my grandfather. <laughs> but he also loved to move stealth. He would walk so quietly. He was also a professional boxer and an economist. <laughs> and a philosopher. And when he walked through the room, you couldn't not hear his feet. And so when he would come to visit us in the States, I would know that he was up because every morning I would hear my wife, Kim, scream. I mean, a, a blood-curling scream because my grandfather would love to walk through the house and find Kim wherever she was and just come and stand right next to her. And she would have no idea he was there. And he would just stand there and wait and she, ah! And... Then almost completely emotionless, he would smile just a little. Just to let you know, it gave him great pleasure to know <laughs> that you didn't know he was there. He would say, to, I, I was leaning against a wall one time, and he said, do not lean against the wall. I said, why? And he said, because it's a sign of weakness. He said, standing near a wall and stand straight and never touch the wall, it will drive people insane. But what I learned from my grandfather was that there are different kinds of strengths. See, so many people think that they're actually powerful, but they're really exhibiting signs of powerlessness. And so then there was this man named Solomon who found the life of another man to be so astonishing to him that he needed to write about it. In fact, we're going to look at a moment when Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that he saw wisdom under the sun that astonished him, that impressed him. Now, remember, if you know the story, Solomon is described as the wisest man who ever lived. That, that's his unique contribution to human history. That Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. So when Solomon says he saw wisdom that astonished him, we should pay attention. Because after all, if I came in here and said, I just met a guy, he knows physics like you wouldn't understand. You would go, well, Erwin, I don't even know if you understand physics, so maybe, maybe so, maybe not. But if Einstein came in here and said, oh, I just met someone who knows math, who understands physics at a level that no one could actually describe, you'd go, who is that? If I came in here and said, I mean, I was just playing some basketball, and there's a guy, he could even take me. He was so good. You'd go, like, hey, like, everyone can take you. You know, what do you do? We don't know if he's any good or not. But if Michael Jordan came in here, or Kobe came in here and said, I was just playing ball in the streets, and this guy, and this guy could hoop, you'd go, who is he? The Lakers need him right now. And who is he? Is he available? So if I said to you, I just saw wisdom that astonished me, then maybe so may not. But Solomon, he's the Einstein of wisdom. He's the Kobe of wisdom. He says, I saw wisdom that, that astonished me. It greatly impressed me. He goes on to say, here's, here's the moment. There was a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king, king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge siege work against it. Now, there lived in that city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. See, if we can understand and, and strip back this code that the warrior seeks to be invisible, we come to realize that the greatest strength 
in this battle for peace is wisdom. Because wisdom makes peace. Have you ever been around people wherever they are, there's a conflict, wherever they are, there's a battle, wherever they are, there's tension? It may be you. Like, I don't know what's going on. The world is just always like that, wherever you are. And there's other people, when they walk into a room, they enter a space, somehow there's peace to be found. They are even able to bring peace in the most tumultuous circumstances. And here's a person who brings peace in the most unexpected moment because his entire city had been sieged and conquered by an enemy king. His description is interesting. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. Have you ever felt like the reason you're not breaking through is because you're in a big city with a lot of people in it? Some of you, have you ever gone to audition for a part but there's 150 other people? I mean, I did that one time. Somebody called me up and said, we have a perfect role for you. It, it's, it's, it's actually a role of a pastor. I didn't know. So I went. I didn't know I was auditioning. They should have told me. I went in. There's all these people in the room dressed up like priests. I was the only one dressed like I wasn't a priest. I did not get the part. I thought, this is so interesting. I can't even get a part that I actually live out every day. That's how intense this city is. I have people who can pretend, who can pretend to be me better than I can actually be me. <laughs> how are you supposed to compete here? But this is not a city like LA, not a city like New York. Try to get a job in New York. You had to hustle. This is not London. This is not Paris. This was just a small city with only a few people in it. A city like the ones I love to mock. It's like Des Moines <laughs> or Tulsa or every other city in the Midwest. It's one of those cities over there. One of the cities you fly over to get to a real city and... I know. That's where you came from. But you're not there. Maybe it was Detroit, a city that, that had a heyday, a city that once was a world-class city that has lost its best days. A city that's just a shell. And the buildings are a reminder, almost like it's a cemetery, of a distant past. This is a small city with only a few people in it. And you think, well, if it's a small city with only a few people in it, well, then I could rise to the top. But he's in a small city with just a few people, and he's a poor guy. He's just a poor man in one of the most insignificant cities with very few people, even there, he could never rise to the top. And it was the city's worst moment, it says, and a powerful king came against it, doesn't tell us why, and surrounded it and built a huge siege work around it, against it. Now, a siege work basically is a barricade that keeps anyone who's inside from getting out, anyone who's outside from getting in. So these people had been conquered, and now they were held captive. And this king, it doesn't tell us why he decided this city was significant to him, but it was probably a city on a way to a city. It was probably one of those cities that you need to take so you can leverage to take the next city. And the story, it just sort of blows through the details of this. But in this moment, when the story of this man emerges, you need to know that the city's best warriors those young men who had trained all their lives to maintain the peace and freedom of their people were now dead. The cries of widows and orphans filled the streets. The earth was drowning in the blood of those who fought and failed. And this is when the story introduces this man. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. Because wisdom brings peace. But then he's in turmoil. The story doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't play out the way it should play out. He says, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. I can see this. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. So this is the, the paradox. Here's someone who set his city free, but no one respected him or honored him or remembered him when it was over. We'll come back to that. 
And he concludes, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And by the way, if you're a person who's prone toward shouting like a foolish ruler, it's not because you're more powerful than other people. See, the reason we move toward anger and rage and aggression and violence is not because we're more powerful, it's because we feel powerless. The people that are most powerful are the ones who have mastery over their emotions and cannot be controlled by their circumstances. He goes on to say, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. I, I need to repeat that. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. What can we learn from this moment about the power of invisibility? Well, I want you to see with me that, that when you understand the power of your invisibility, you realize, you come to this beautiful realization that you are not limited by who you are not. See, this story doesn't tell us anything about who this guy was except that he had wisdom. Now, why would this man's wisdom astonish Solomon so much? Because after all, Solomon had wisdom. And so now he sees wisdom. In this city, it's hard to meet someone who's actually impressed with you. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever had this new idea and you shared it with someone? They go, oh yeah, I already thought of that. <laughs> really, I, we live in a town where no one wants to admit that's something new. I've never thought of that way. I've never seen that because everyone wants to act as if they're better than you. You may be acting like that toward everyone else. But here's Solomon. He has enough Humility to say, here's wisdom that's impressive, that's astonishing, that needs to be noted and paid attention to. You see, Solomon knew what it was to have wisdom with every advantage in life. See, Solomon knew the power of wisdom plus power. He knew what it was like to have wisdom plus wealth. He understood what it was like to have wisdom and position. Solomon had every advantage a human being could ever hope for, and he had wisdom. So even as he actualized that wisdom into real life, that wisdom was always filtered through all the advantages he had from birth. He was the son of King David. He never had to fight for his kingdom. He was handed a kingdom. He was a trust fund child. Everything he had was given to him, and there's nothing wrong with being given great things. It means that you have the stewardship of great things. But Solomon had never had the opportunity to know what wisdom could do without all those advantages. Now, there's some of you here. You've been born with great advantages. You may not even fully realize it. You, you have disproportionate benefits and advantages in this world. By the way, just being in this room means you have advantages for most of the world. Just being able to live in this nation means you have advantages that most of the world does not have. Yeah. There's some of us here in this room, we just need to own the fact that we've had advantages that no one else has around the world, and we may actually not realize how much we have access to. Yeah. And if you're here and you have great wealth or great power or you have great position, if you're here and you were born into a family that, gives you, that gave you a great advantage, don't lament it. Don't run from it, step into it, and add wisdom to it, and do all the good you can in the world. But, but don't think that it's the deal breaker or deal maker. Because I think there might be more of people in this room who go, wait a minute, I'm not one of those. I wish I was one of those. I hope I'm gonna be one of those, but I'm not one of those right now. I'm one of the people that doesn't have any wealth, any power, any position, any fame, but I don't really have any wisdom either, so I'm really in trouble. <laughs> I don't have any of those. And you might think, I need to get those so that I can compensate for my lack of wisdom. Rather than realizing, you know what you need to do is you need to step into wisdom so you can compensate your lack of other resources. But here's a man who's only known as a man who's poor in a small city with a few people. Want to talk about a sense of insignificance? See, now some of you here, you feel so insignificant. You don't know if anything significant can ever come out of your life. But I don't know where you are, but I know you're not just a poor person in a small town with just a few people in it. 
I know you have a little bit better benefit than this guy, and I want you to know, in the measure of all things, he was completely insignificant, and yet in the end of the story, he sets an entire city free. What could God do with you? You're not limited by who you are not. But other people will try to convince you you are. You ever tried to do something outrageous? Something impossible? Have you ever tried to do something that other people have tried to do but they failed to do it? It's amazing how many people will say to you, who do you think you are? You really think you can accomplish this when other people have failed? Do you really think you have what it takes when other people had more and they failed? See, if you're not careful, you'll spend your entire life listening to people who will tell you who you are not. And by the way, if your future is the future God wants for you, everyone's going to be able to see that you do not match your future. See, I know I don't match my future. And people will look at your past and say, you want that kind of future? Look who you've been. And they're going to tell you who you are. And they're going to tell you who you're not. But I want you to the future God has for you. Your past you doesn't qualify for your future you. And you may not realize this, but the you you are right now is not how God's designing your future. God's not looking at you going, okay, this is who they are. Can't do a whole lot with that. So I'm going to have to like grow them into more. See, God is not designing your future based on your present you. God is designing your future based on your future you. So when people, you know what's frustrating? It, it, it's, it's frustrating when people tell you things that are true. That's more frustrating than people who are telling you things that are not true. Because if people tell me things that are not true, I go, they just don't know me. Right? If you tell you're not Latino, because my name's McManus. Because they've never heard of aliases before. Yeah, but you, you don't know what it's like to be an outsider. You don't know what it's like to be an immigrant. Sure, I do. Just because I refuse to keep myself with an immigrant mentality doesn't mean I'm not an immigrant. See, you need to realize that a lot of people will try to tell you who you are. You know how many jobs I've had in the past where they didn't know I was Latin and they gave me the job that they meant to give to a person who was Caucasian? Then afterwards, they said, well, you know, maybe we need to shift you because we didn't know what you were not. Here's, here's the beautiful thing about it. You don't have to spend your life being defined by other people who told you what you're not. Because God doesn't. And it's, it's hard when people tell you the truth. When they tell you, you know, you're not tall enough. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. And you know, we have, I think they're right. But here's the thing. They're telling you the truth about who you are today. It doesn't, it's not the truth about who you're going to be tomorrow. So you just need, when someone says, you can't do this. This is, this is too big for you. You're not up to this. You should say, you're probably right. But I'm not going to waste my life trying to create a life that matches me now. Because that life is going to be way too small for me because I'm getting better. So stop being limited by who you're not. And start living a life based on who you long to become. Who God is creating you to be. And get people in your life who see you better than you see yourself. Get people in your life who, when you give up on yourself, refuse to give up on you. Get people in your life when you start listening to those voices that tell you everything that's wrong with you, everything that's missing in your life, everything that, that's deficient about your character and your personhood and your, all your failures. Get people in your life who silence all the voices that want to hold you in the past and who keep calling you into the future. I was just in a room, and I, I didn't share this earlier, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. I was in a room in New York in a publishing house, and 
They started talking about how one day they believed I was going to win a Pulitzer. I let them keep talking. I didn't, I didn't want to stop anybody. I didn't change the subject. I, I wanted to go, are you out of your mind? Have you read my work? I mean, I want to do that. No, you don't know who I am. But I thought, who am I to argue with that? Because that's not who I am. But I'm not going to limit that from being who I can become. Um, so if you're just some poor woman or some poor man from a small town with a few people in it, you've been invisible all your life. Don't assume that God does not see you. Because the solution to a sense of insignificance is understanding the power of one person with God. <laughs> but when you find the power of your invisibility, you also realize that you're no longer limited but by what you do not have. Solomon says this three times. It's actually a really short story to repeat yourself. Verse 15, he says, there was a man poor, but wise. And the end of that very same verse, he says, but nobody remembered that poor man. And the very next verse, he says, so I said wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised. It, 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 it seems that Solomon was fixated on this one attribute. He was poor. He was poor. He was poor. He didn't have anything to his name. And yet he said an entire city free. Have you ever found yourself whining about what you don't have. And because you're focused on what you don't have, you never step into what you could have. <laughs> 30 years ago, Kim and I were living in Dallas and it was one of those transitional periods in our life. We, we have a, a daughter that we raised for 12 years named Patty that was an illegal immigrant, undocumented immigrant from, from Mexico and we brought her into our house and we helped her get documentation and, and then we helped her get a visa, then we helped her get a green card, then she became an American citizen before I became an American citizen. So. <laughs> and so we were raising Patty, and Aaron was two and a half years old, and Kim was pregnant with Mariah. And my boss called me in, and he said, you're far more gifted than this job requires. He fired me. <laughs> I... <laughs> That's, that's how I heard it. That's how I heard it. And uh, just because you're fired doesn't mean you're not better than the job. See, maybe the job is beneath God's intention for your life, but you don't have enough courage to do what you need to do. And, and I, I was out in the desert and I went to a payphone. Some of you go, What's a payphone? I went to a payphone, I called my wife, and I told her I lost my job, and it was a really bad day. And we had just bought a house, and things were just rising, rising, rising. It was amazing. It was like just a jet straight up. And then everything just exploded. And we sold our house and sold everything we had and moved into a borrowed house in the hood. One day, Kim saw these guys robbing, I think, the radio shack and running through our backyard with the equipment. But it wasn't our backyard. It was just borrowed. And <laughs> roaches everywhere. And I, I, I didn't have a job anymore. I didn't have a prospective job. And I was able to get this old computer. Do you know those old computers that are in museums now? They're kind of that ugly vanilla color, massive backs. And when you turn them on, it takes like 25 minutes for the little light to come on. It looks like Pac-Man is inside of there. And you're clicking every single letter. And, and I sat down, and we didn't have enough room in that tiny little place for an office. So in the middle of the living room next to the nursery was my office. And I remember typing in my my first statement for my new company. And I named it McManus Enterprises for Global Impact. The only thing that was true about that was McManus. <laughs> and it was an alias, so even that wasn't true. And, uh, and Kim, who's pragmatic and practical and sometimes brutal, came by and said, what's that? I said, it's the name of our new company. 
McManus Enterprises for Global Impact. She said, global impact? We're in a borrowed house in the ghetto. You have a borrowed computer that barely works. Global impact? And I said, sounds better than local influence. <laughs> Which I did not have, by the way. That would have been an upgrade. And so then I, I put together my first meeting for McManus Enterprises for global impact. And I may have had 100 business people and leaders in the room, and I started telling them how we're going to impact the world, how we understood the shift into cities and how cities would shape the cultures of the future and how Los Angeles was the capital of the future and how we were going to affect Tokyo and Berlin and Beijing and Shanghai and Buenos Aires and Los Angeles. And I started talking about how we're going to impact the future of humanity. And finally, this guy just couldn't take it anymore. He stood up and he said, how much money do you have? And I said, I have no money. So I have unlimited resources. <laughs> you know what I've discovered in my life? What you have is actually your limiting factor. Because you assume what you have is what God has. One of the great dangers in life is to have just a little bit more than nothing. And to think that's what you need. See, if I had $10,000, I would have had a $10,000 dream. If I had $100,000, I would have had a $100,000 vision. If I had a million or $10 million, I would have had a much bigger dream. And a house. <laughs> and a car and a wife who would be more happy with me. But I would have had a limited understanding of what impact our lives could have. See, I think sometimes the best thing I can do for you is to make you that poor person from a small town with very few people in it where you realize I don't have anything to my name so I can dream as big as I'm able. So stop being limited by what you don't have. Because you're not being limited by what you do not have. You're actually being limited by what you do have. Some of you right now, you have jobs you hate. And they're paying you minimum wage. But you're so afraid to leave that job that allows you to survive. Because you don't have the courage to pursue the life that would allow you to thrive. You're not limited by what you do not have. You're limited by what you do have. So don't let anyone define you by what you don't have. <laughs> How much money do you have? There's some of you here right now, you're boxing yourself in. You know, this is the best it's going to get. And, and what ends up happening inside of us so oftentimes is because of that, we end up hoarding what we have and not realizing that it actually limits what God can do with us. You ever had that thought, oh, if I could ever be like Warren Buffett, then I would be really generous. If I could just be like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Elon Musk, then I would really make a difference in the world because you think you're limited by what you don't have, but you're not. See, if you're not generous now, you will not be generous then. You will take whoever you are now to your great success. And I'm convinced of some of this for you. There's some of you here that will become incredibly successful in the measure of the world. You'll have great wealth. You will have great success. You will have great power. You will have great influence. You'll be able to buy anything you want in the world. And if you wait until then to become who you must be, you will have all the resources in the world and you will live a life of emptiness. You have to decide now who you're going to be then and not be limited by what you don't have and create what you long for. I was in an interview today and someone asked me, what would you say to someone who perhaps loses everything or has lost everything? I said, I don't have to be hypothetical. I have lost everything. 
I know exactly what that feels like. And I've sat down with people who have lost billions of dollars. I've sat in rooms with individuals who look so successful and so powerful and that they're at the end of themselves. And, and I, I have to trace it back and say, okay, before you had two billion or before you had two million or before you had 2,000, what did you have? They said, well, nothing. So, no, you did not have nothing because you can't create something out of nothing. You had what was inside of you. All you had what was inside of you, who you were. And who you were is what created everything. You're afraid you can't rebuild. But now you're back to who you were plus all the experience you gained in the process. So don't worry about losing everything. Worry about losing yourself. And then when you find the power of invisibility, you realize that you're no longer limited by who you're not, and you're not limited by what you don't have, and you're not limited by what other people don't know. Now, I think this is critical, because, see, this was Solomon's concern. He said, nobody remembered him. He saved his entire city, but no one remembered that poor man. That bothered Solomon, because Solomon had a sense of legacy. Solomon did so much to be remembered, and we remember him to this day. Solomon's name is known across the world. And here Solomon sees a man who had wisdom and set an entire city free. Now, by the way, never, not once in his life did Solomon ever set a city free. He didn't know how to do that. He had never done that. He never had to stand in that moment where he realized that his life was not about himself and it was about others. And Solomon was, was a little torn by this because he realized that wisdom does not guarantee you fame. And the great dilemma, I think, for so many of us is we keep confusing fame and greatness. But fame is what you do for yourself and greatness is what you do for others. Fame is self-preservation, but greatness is self-sacrifice. And you have to decide in your life whether you're going to spend your life making sure that you're known or spend your life making sure you're worth being known. Because if you spend your life afraid you will not be remembered, you may not be worth remembering. I, I know you, you, you couldn't applaud. You're like, yay, I will not be remembered. I'll be forgotten by everyone. I, I may not even be worth remembering. That's why we're having this conversation. Because you matter. Because you were created with intention. Because we want to remember you even if we don't know your name. See, no one knew his name, but no one ever forgot him. We're talking about him right now, and we don't even know who he is. He didn't seem to live his life to have his name up in lights. We're just a few feet from where fame is defined by having your name written in the stars. But the stars that are planted on the ground are different than the stars that hang in the heavens. And maybe your name will not be remembered in this life, but I'm telling you, if you live your life for others, it will be remembered in eternity. Yeah. <laughs> the older I get, the more I forget myself. I remember so little of my life. And I've realized that, that we all only remember the highlights and the lowlights of our life. Everything in between sort of drifts away into that other Tuesday <laughs> that you will not remember either. You'll remember the moments in your life where you rose above yourself and you lived your life for others. 
You'll remember those moments where you decided to love rather than hate, where you decided to forgive rather than hold bitterness and resentment. You will remember those moments where you could have chosen despair, but you chose hope. Those moments where you could have chose to cut people out of your life, but you instead chose to choose compassion and acceptance. You are writing the story of your life. And do you really think this guy looked back on his life and thought, wow, I really missed it? I, I think at the end of his life, the people who mattered knew the story of his life. And here's the great dilemma. Oh, I have so many journalists who ask me the same question. Every journalist thinks they're the first one to ask me the question. I guess it's now my stage in life, but they always ask me, what would you say to your 25-year-old self? And I want to say to all of them, why do all of you ask me the same question? And at first, I wouldn't even answer the question. I wouldn't say anything because I wouldn't listen to me. You know, I, and, but the truth is, this is kind of what I would say. What I would say to my 25-year-old self is stop living your life for the acceptance of others. Live your life with your full intention. Stop living a life of obligation. Start living a life of meaning. See, we live in an environment where how many people know you becomes the measure of your value. But who really cares what the person who does not know you says about you, thinks about you, writes about you, blogs about you, tweets about you? See, if your identity is based on the people you don't even know, you're already shattered and broken at the core. What actually needs to matter is what the people closest to you say about you. It matters to me what my wife Kim says about me. It matters to me what my daughter Mariah says about me. It matters to me what my son Aaron says about me. It matters what the people who have walked me and lived with me and who have laughed and wept with me. It matters what they think of me. Because the measure of your life cannot be fame. It must be respect. Because when you live a life for others, you've chosen your greatness. And by the way, here's the outcome of the power of wisdom. What happens when you choose to be invisible and know it's your power. Your life is measured not by your freedom, but by how your life has set other people free. Now be careful. It says that the wise man's wisdom was despised. You know what happens? You ever help someone get their life back together when their life is a wreck? And the moment you help them get it back together, they hate you? Because they go back to their old life and you've invested so much time and energy to get them out of that life. You're like, wait a minute, why are you going back? Be careful to not set someone free who wants to live like a slave because they will despise you for the responsibility now placed on their lives. But be careful to live your life only for your freedom because you are given freedom to set others free. I want that to be the measure of my life through the power of invisibility. You know what God does? When you choose to not live your life for fame but for greatness, you'll be surprised how God will take you out of the invisible and move you to the visible. Because you cannot trust the light to the people who need the limelight. You cannot trust power to people who want power. You cannot trust influence to people who want control. What God is looking for are women and men who live their lives for others. When you choose to live your life for others, God will use you to light the way for the world. I knew someone like that. Actually, I know them. His name is Jesus. He came to walk among us. Think about the paradox. 
that God himself would take on flesh and blood. Instead of wowing us with the spectacular and overwhelming us with the miraculous, he allows himself to be a sacrifice so that through his death we might live. I don't think they saw him on that cross for who he was. I think what God was doing was invisible to them. And on that third day when he rose from the dead, the invisible God was made visible to humanity. And I want you to know there's a God who loves you, who sees you, who knows you, who created you for his love and created you for a relationship with him. And if you feel invisible right now, God sees you. So stop trying to be visible for all the wrong reasons in all the wrong ways to all the wrong people. Let the God who sees you know you and come and bring you the peace that only his wisdom brings. Would you just bow your head to me just for a moment and just close your eyes. I know there's some of you here right now that suddenly it all makes sense. The pieces are coming together. You finally understand why God did it this way. Why God stepped into human history, the invisible God becoming visible so we could see love in flesh and blood. Why he died on a cross so that through his sacrifice, through his death, we might live. There's some of you who right now, it finally makes sense. And you need his peace. You need his forgiveness. You need his love. You need his freedom. Maybe your soul is the city that needs to be set free right now. Maybe there's a huge siege work around your heart, around your soul. You feel like you're trapped and you're held captive. But Jesus has come to set you free. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can give your life to Jesus and receive his life in you. It's just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. It's the beginning of a conversation that will last forever. But right now, where you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me and give your life to Jesus. Here it is, Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. It's an exchange, your life for the life only he can give you. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you just crossed that line of faith, if you just whispered that prayer to God, if you just spoke this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want you to step out of invisibility and become visible for just a moment. Find the courage and the strength to do this because I want to pray for you. But I want you to act on that prayer. And right now, I just want you to hold your hand up high and say, yes. I just prayed and gave my life to Jesus. I just crossed the line of faith. I just prayed, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, if that's you, just hold your hand up high. I want to see you right now. And I want to pray for you. Beautiful, all around the room, right now. Don't wait. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't be embarrassed. This is why we're here. This moment is for you. Beautiful. Anyone else? So good. All around the room. Anyone else? This is your moment. This is for you. This is for you. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment have crossed the line of faith and opened up their lives to you. And God, I pray that right now they would know that you heard their prayer, that you've come to dwell in them, that they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them. I pray that you would wrap them up in your love. And I thank you, Jesus, that you promised to come to be our peace. 
to never leave us or forsake us. And I pray that the same power that you spoke to the wind and the waves and said, peace be still, would calm the weariness and the chaos in their soul right now. And God, I pray for each person within the sound of my voice that they would know the power of invisibility for the warrior seeks to be invisible. May they never be trapped by the illusion of fame. May they live their lives for the nobility of serving others. May this be our greatness, that we bring freedom to those whose lives we touch. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can we just thank God for all those who responded to him right now? So good. So good. I want to give you one practical takeaway when you leave this place. If you came here and you found a peace, a hope, a joy that your soul has been searching for, never allow yourself to be the end of the story. The freedom that Jesus gives you sets you free to help others be free. If he gives you love, it's so that you can give love. If he fills you with hope, it's so that you can take hope with you. So whatever God has placed in you, whatever you have received, do not hoard it to yourself. Maybe you might be the person that one day they will write about your life and say, they didn't look like much. They had no resume. We never thought they'd be the one. But there was an entire city drowning in despair and depression, an entire city overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. There was an entire city that was trapped and suffocating. And somehow that one person found freedom and they brought freedom and one by one by one by one the entire city found the freedom they longed for may you look back at the end of your life with your last breath and go this is a story i want to remember for eternity thank you so much for joining us on the mosaic podcast I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.